Well, if you have your Bible this morning, and I prayerfully, I believe that you, you do, so why don't you grab it, and I want you to go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, we're going to be beginning verse 1, and we're going to read uh, uh, several scriptures this morning. Uh, uh, and this morning, I'm going to share a message called Restored Calling, restored calling. Now, when, when I was a kid, and I know I'm going to date myself a little bit by saying this, uh, one of the things that, that I used to love to do as, as a kid is I would go to these, these stores and I could actually buy a model car. And this would, it, I, could, I could then uh, uh, unbox it and I would put it together and make sure that it, everything is in the right place. I even had like little pinstriping and things that I would put on it as a kid. And then... I, I would be able to, to have, you know, this car uh, from the 50s. And most of you, when you think of a car from the 50s or the, the 60s, you think of some rust bucket or something that needs a lot of work until you go to a car show and you see something that's been totally restored. Uh, you know, many of them, uh, not only are they, 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 they look just like they, they did whenever they came out, many of them are even better. Uh, and, and so there is this process of restoration. For years in the city of Lakeland, there was this Corvette that was in uh, that was in this shed and everybody saw it and everybody tried to buy it and it was years and years and years and years it sat there and finally the family released it and this Corvette got totally restored and 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 those who lived in Lakeland they knew about this one particular vet and about how somebody had gone to war and they had lost a son and and it was it was a sign and a tribute to the son who gave his life uh, that when the, when the parents eventually uh, released this car, that it was actually the restoration was a tribute to the son. And what I want to say to you today is that the restoration that happens in our life is a tribute to the son of God. It is a tribute to him. When God comes in restoration, it really means this, and I want you to understand restoration from this light, and we're going to read, uh, read some scripture this morning and talk about how Christ does this uh, in our life. Restoration simply means this, God restores us to original intent. God restores us to his original intent. I know most of us uh, struggle with that idea. Have I done something that is, ha, has kind of disqualified me or, or taken me out of God's calling? Listen, God today is doing a restorative work in his body. Last week, I talked, talked about how God was restoring faith, that this happened in the time between the resurrection and the outpouring of God's spirit. And I believe what God is saying to us is that there are things that I am doing in the body of Christ that I am doing within my bride to prepare her for a mighty outpouring. So I believe today that if you are watching this, this is a word from heaven for you. And I, I, I just feel as if the Holy Spirit is going to restore some areas that you thought were lost to the rust of sin, to the rust of bad choices. Listen, John 21, verses 1 through 17 is where we're going to read. And we're going to look deeply into this story of Peter's restoration. This is an amazing moment. 
says in verse 1, John 21, verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other, others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now uh, they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John speaking about himself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had, he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now listen, this is uh, very much, I believe, connected to what a lot of our lives look like uh, in Christ when we are in a moment of transition. When God is trying to get us uh, to another place and yet still needs to do a deep character work in our lives, this is what uh, many of us uh, go through. You, you, you've given your life to Christ and yet there seems to be this, this heart in us that is prone to wander. It's prone to walk away. It's prone to do these things. Now listen, uh, you need to understand Peter. Who is Peter? Peter is the one 
who, who Jesus chose to take him up the mountain of transfiguration, okay? He has had this deep encounter. The glory of God that was in Jesus began to shine out of Jesus. Peter's the only one that opens his mouth up there and says, ah, oh, it's so good for us to be here. Let's build a temple for you and for Moses and Elijah. The, the father thunders and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter's falling to the ground, seeing glory. He's in the cloud. He's hearing God audibly. I mean, this is the guy that has walked on water. He has walked on water. He has seen miracles, not only in Jesus, but flow through him using the name of Jesus. This is a guy who has a history with God. And what does he do? He walks away. He goes back to what he was doing in the very beginning. Anybody, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I can testify that there were times when I, when I found myself just saying, you know what, uh, you know, I had a history in God. There were some miracles that had happened in my life, some things that were, I just knew they were God. But I, I, I got to tell you, honestly, in my heart, I was just going back. But I want you to see what God does to restore his people. What God does to, to actually restore our callings. Because in this walking away moment that Peter found himself in, he was no less called. He was called to be the one who in just a few moments is going to speak and 3,000 people are going to be born again. And yet right now, the only thing he can see about himself is what he used to be. It's the only thing he can see. And honestly, church, I believe this, that in this hour, God is dropping the scales from our eyes so we not only see what we used to be, but we see who we're called to be. And we need to find out what Jesus is doing in Peter's life so we can actually discover what he's doing in our life in this season where God has pulled us away, where he has said, listen, I am going to make myself the main thing in your life. And I have to restore some things so that you can believe that he is going to use you. This is what the Spirit of God is saying. He wants to restore some things. So... What is Jesus doing in this moment? How can we describe what the activity of Jesus looks like as he's restoring calling? First, it's this. Jesus finds us in the familiar. What did Peter go back to? He went back to fishing. He went back to fishing after laying down his nets and answering Jesus's personal call to follow him. Here he goes back to fishing. Not only is he going back to fishing, but it seems as if he talked several of the other disciples to going back to fishing. I'm just going back. I'm just going back. I'm going to go back to the familiar. And this is the danger in a time of transition. When we're looking for something secure, what do we go back to? The only thing we've ever known. And yet God isn't saying to us, go back to the familiar. I actually want you to press into the pion, press into the, 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 the frontier of, of my will for your life. But you're going to have to get past the familiar. But what does Jesus do? 
When people walk away and they go back to what they've been doing before, and I've seen this before, people give their lives to Christ. They're so excited about God. And then, you know, a few months later, they're back in the familiar. Well, what's Jesus doing? If you find yourself today living in just a familiar pattern, it's not a supernatural pattern, it's not your call, it's just a familiar pattern. What is Jesus doing? He's finding you. Well, what is he doing when he finds us in the familiar? First, he seeks. Verse four says, when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Notice, Jesus knew right where they were. He knew right where to go. He's supernatural. What's he do? He goes right to the Sea of Tiberias. So it's a, it, you know, it's connected there. Uh, Tiberias is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he goes right down and he's on the shore and he knows right where they are. And he goes right up into the familiar life that they had embraced and walked away from some three years before. He goes and he just seeks them out. Have you guys ever uh, had God step into your life when you weren't looking for him? When you're just going through the familiar I can remember a time when, uh, when I was, a, I was a, a young man, actually, and it was right, right before, um, it was probably about a year before God really got a hold of my life. Um, I, had, I went through this breakup, you know, and listen, this is, you know, uh, un, uh, you know most uh, teenagers don't think that their parents were ever people. They just think that they were parents, you know, and, uh, you know, before I was a parent, I was a people, just letting you know, and, 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 and I was dating this girl, and I went through a breakup, and I was just, I was, I was crying on the way home. I remember the weather that night. It was a full moon. It was beautiful, and I'm driving, and I'm thinking, you know, my world is collapsing on me and all of this, and I remember where I was, and I remember where I was driving. I, I remember exactly the time of, of night that it was and everything and I'm, and I'm, these hot tears are rolling down my face as I'm suffering through, you know, a, a, you know late teen breakup, you know, and uh, I can remember I'm driving down the road and God came in my car uninvited. I wasn't even looking for him. God came in my car and I wasn't praying or anything. The Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said, the way you are weeping now, I have wept over you every day you've been away from me. And I was struck. Every, all of the grief that I was feeling over this lost relationship, it dried up in an instant. In an instant, God's presence spoke to me in the car. But here's what I did. Much like many believers do, many people who know God is real, what happens? You have this encounter, but what do you do? If you're looking for the next encounter, you're just looking for the next thing, you just walk away. You go back to a familiar lifestyle, and that's actually what I did. And things didn't get better. They got worse. They got worse. And here I am, much like these, these disciples who have seen miracles, who've seen Jesus, they're just going to the familiar. But what does Jesus do? Jesus seeks us out. He goes on the shore, and then what does he do? After he seeks us out, Jesus seeks, and then Jesus speaks. And I love what he says. He says, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. Listen, this is the revelation. 
When you are going back to what is familiar, it will not satisfy. It cannot satisfy. It just won't do it. When you have a calling on your life, when God has put his hand on you, you can try to go back to old things, but God is saying, listen, I've made all things new, and that old lifestyle will never satisfy you. Children, do you have any bread? Is there anybody watching me this morning who would say to themselves, I am so empty. I am so dissatisfied. Jesus is just smiling on the shore going, you got any bread? I didn't think so because I'm the bread. I'm the one that satisfies. He said, of course not. But not only does he seek and does he speak, he does something blows our mind. He supplies in the middle of the familiar, in the way of, in the middle of walking away of their, their assignment, what does he do? Cast your net on the other side is what he says. He seeks, he speaks, and then he supplies. He says, cast your net on the other side. There you'll find the fish. And what happened? There's so many fish. It's, it's overwhelming. There was a multitude of fish. And they weren't even able to draw it in. Here's what you need to know. If you find yourself in this moment of restoration and you're literally walking in the familiar, you can expect God to show up supernaturally. Why? Because when he seeks and when he speaks and when he supplies, he's revealing his good nature. He is revealing his goodness. And it is the goodness of God that leads to change, that leads to repentance. It's when you see that he's willing to come and find you in the familiar. He's willing to come and speak to you so that, you, that, that, that there's a revelation that what you've been seeking cannot satisfy. And then you'll see him supernaturally supply. This is what he does when he finds us in the familiar. He gives us a revelation of his nature. Next, in this time of restoration, this is what you, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. I want you to know what he's doing in this hour in your heart. Not only is he finding us in the familiar, but he is persisting in his pursuit. He is persisting in his pursuit. Verse 14 uh, uh, of John 21 says this, now this now, uh, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He says, uh, I, I don't believe any of these words are here by accident, okay? This is the third time. This is the third time he is persistent in his pursuit. So for everyone who has ever said, I had an encounter with God and I walked away and now I've lost out with God. Here's what you find. On the, on the day of the resurrection, Jesus appears. But there's, there's another person that needs a, a restoration. Eight days later, Thomas comes. And that same group that had experienced him a, a week before, which included Peter, is now encountering Jesus again in Thomas's restoration. Now, after the second time, you would think Jesus has walked through walls, locked doors. He's coming in uh, to the house uninvited. He's showing up supernaturally. You would think, man, we're all in. We're getting ready for this outpouring, this clothing from on high that Jesus has been talking about, but not so. Peter, who's already experienced Christ supernaturally twice, is said, that's it, I'm going fishing. 
Now, I want, you to, I want you to actually notice this. This is a powerful truth from this story. When John recognized it was Jesus on the shore, he said, it's the Lord. And then Peter, when he heard it was the Lord, he actually reached down into the boat and he put on his outer cloak, dives into the water and swims to the shore. Why are these details in there? Why are these details in there? Because in my mind, every detail is pointing us toward the heart of the people that God is ministering to. What, it, what, is, that, what is that a sign of, this outer cloak? It's his mantle. It's his calling. Where was it? In the bottom of a smelly, empty boat. He had taken it off. But Jesus had appeared at the resurrection. Eight days later, he appears again. And now he's showing up on the shore saying, hey, you got anything yet? He says, cast your net on the other side. Here's this mighty hall. And all of a sudden, Peter starts coming to himself. It's like Jesus is coming after me again. He puts on his garment and dives in the water. Who does that? Usually, when you dive in the water, you take off your garment. Not so here. I think, it's, I think it's a prophetic picture that Peter once again picks up his mantle and goes into the water. And this is, a, to me, a type and a symbol of baptism. He dives into the water as Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to get fully immersed. Why does nobody else jump out of the boat? Nobody else jumps out. He's the only one that jumps out. We have no record of anybody else putting their clothes on. Only Peter, because God is persistent in his pursuit. And when he finds you at your place of need, you will look down in the smelly rubble of your life and find the calling that he has put on you. Pick it up and clothe yourself in it and get baptized on your pursuit of the one who's pursuing you. This is what God is doing in this hour. And church, it is once again time for you to pick up the mantle that God has placed upon your life. You say, I have a mantle. Let me tell you the way that 1 Peter 4 says it. Each one of you has a gift. And as, as ministers of the Lord, you should minister it to one another as a good steward. 1 Peter 4. We have this responsibility to carry these gifts, to carry these callings and minister it to one another. But most of us have, have laid those mantles down at the, at, at the feet of, of another failure. And, and I just want you to know that Jesus is persistent in his pursuit of you. He's not, he's not put you into final judgment. Matter of fact, I'll show you a verse that many apply to people who don't know God, but really it's about people who have known God and walked away. Revelation chapter 3 says this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore... Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Who was that written to? The church. That actually was written to the church in Revelation 3. And Jesus was saying, listen, I'm standing and knocking at your door. Why? Because he is persistent in his pursuit. Not only does he appear on, the, on, on that first resurrection, the day after the resurrection, not only does he appear uh, eight days later, but here he is persistent in his pursuit. And let me say it this way. Today, I hear the sound of the rapping of holy knuckles on the hands that were pierced with nails for you. And he is knocking and he is knocking and he is seeking and he is speaking and he is supplying in your life saying this is the hour of restoration. It is time to reach down into the familiar place that you have been living in to pick up the mantle that you started with in God, get clothed in it, baptized and move toward God. You say that doesn't look like it makes any sense. I believe Peter's pursuit of Jesus is actually what our pursuit of Jesus is supposed to look like. As he's restoring us, it's not going to make sense to everybody else. Everybody else chose the boat. Peter was the one that needed restoration, so he dove in. And I want to encourage you today to dive in to God's persistent pursuit of you and his love. Dive in. Jesus has visited us in grace and love and mercy in his persistent pursuit. Stop running. Stop running. Let me say it this way. Start swimming. Swim. Come back in the river of God's grace, the river of his goodness, back to his feet. Lastly, as God restoring calling this is what we find Jesus doing he finds us in the familiar he persists in his pursuit of us but this last one is is very powerful as we look into the scripture he contends for your calling he contends for your calling and look at the way when I say contend it's a fight by the way Jesus is fighting for you he is fighting for you. So when I read the scripture this morning about how he leads us in triumph, triumph is actually referring to a parade. What, what would happen is when an army would conquer uh, another nation, they would line up all the soldiers in chains and they would walk the defeated foe behind a victorious army. So when you see the word triumph, here's what you need to see. You need to see a victorious Christ with the train of his robe, with the names of every defeated foe and you are in Christ, walking with Christ. And so addiction's defeated, everything is defeated and so what what does he do? He says, I'm contending for your calling. I'm defeating every foe, everything that's keeping you out of the, the goodness and the calling of God that's on your life. So what does it look like? What does it look like as Jesus is contending for this calling? Well, let's look at verse 15. We'll begin there. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I just want you to notice the patterns here. In this one chapter, here's what we find out. Jesus appeared three times. And three times, Jesus questions Peter. And three times, Jesus confirms his calling. This is so good. He says, do you love me? He says, yes, you know I love you. And the first thing, he says, do you love me more than these? Now, at first, you might think, oh, he's talking about the other disciples. That's actually not what he's talking about at all. Do you understand what is right in front of them? A hundred and 53 fish, 153 fish, a massive haul, a, an enormous haul for a fisherman in that region. They, it, it, they would be super blessed for the coming days. I am of the personal conviction that what he is saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this fish? Do you love me more than the supply? Do you love me more? Your calling has to be connected to more than just the benefits of being in relationship with God. It has to be personal. It has to be real. And so he says, listen, you went back to the familiar. Do you love me more than the familiar? Do you love me more? Are you willing to lay that down? And I love uh, what he says. He said, here it is. It's, it's three appearances you know, it's, it's, it's three questions of his calling. But why three? Why three? He confronts, do you love me more than these? And then he asks him again, do you love me? Do you love me? And then three times he confirms his calling. Why three? Here's why. Because just a few short days ago, Peter denied Christ three times. He denied him three times. And Jesus had already said, listen, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. We find in Matthew 26, 75, it says, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Listen, can you imagine that up to this point, there is something in Peter's life that he hasn't let Christ deal with. Christ stepped into the room the first time Peter's there, and he's like, oh, you're raised from the dead. But there was still this thing. The next time he, he comes, and now he watches the life of his, his friend Thomas get touched by God in the same way. And he's like, oh, wow, that's so good. But there was something that was still eating at Peter, something that was connected to the sorrow of a behavior that he had turned his back, that he had forsaken him, that he couldn't even look upon Christ as he, he died on the cross and he had run and he had forsaken him. And when it says he wept bitterly, that means that, that on the inside he was so sorrowful. So there was this thing that Christ still needed to heal and to restore in order for Peter to step into his calling. So here comes Jesus again, and he says, listen, I'm going to ask you three times, do you love me? 
And three times Christ says, you're still called. You're still called to be a shepherd. You're still called to feed my sheep. You're still called. It doesn't matter your failure. Here's what Jesus was saying. My faithfulness is greater than your failure. And I think some believers need to hear that today. His faithfulness, his faithfulness to you is greater than your failure. You need to hear the voice of the Lord saying to you, do you love me? Do you love me more than the familiar? Is there, do you remember those ways that God has showed you love and yet you find yourself maybe in that place today? Listen, never let your past define you. Why? Because Jesus has the final word over our past. He says to Peter, he says, he says, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. He says, your calling is good. Listen, your failure uh, is, is not final because Christ has the final word. Peter dealing with his heaviness in his heart. He's, he's breaking up. He's glad for the miracles. He's glad, glad for the encounter. He, he hears the, 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 the promises of the future, but he's still dealing with this issue. How do we know? Because he's back to fishing after this supernatural life with Jesus. But aren't you glad that Jesus comes? And he looks us in the eye and he says, you're still called. I still love you. You're still called to be a blessing. You're still called to make a difference in the kingdom. You're still called and I'm still with you. Walk in your calling. Listen, your failure cannot define you. It cannot. Why? Because Christ has spoken over our failures. Jesus asked Peter this question three times, essentially, do you love me? And I want to show you the goodness of God in this statement. And you wouldn't read it this way in English, but you could certainly, uh, upon a closer look and studying the words that Jesus was ask, actually asking Peter, it's powerful and profound. He says, do you love me three times? First time he says, do you agape me? This is the God kind of love. It's the perfect kind of love. It's the, it's, the, it's the kind of love with no strings attached. It's the kind of love that you exude when the Holy Spirit shows up in your life. Matter of fact, it is the description of love in Galatians chapter 5 when we see the fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit is agape. And so Jesus at first, the first question is, do you agape me more than these? And here was Peter's answer. Lord, you know I phileo you. See, there are three different common words for love in the scriptures. Phileo is the one that you, you would probably know Philadelphia as the word that is closest to this word in Greek, which is phileo. It means brotherly kindness. It does mean love, it means kindly affection, but it doesn't, it doesn't carry the same weight as agape. He's saying, Jesus is saying, do you love me with a God kind of love? He says, you know, I, I kind of love you like a brother. My love is insufficient. And then, then Jesus comes to him a second time and he says, Peter, actually he doesn't call him Peter either. 
You know what he calls him? Simon. After renaming him. He actually calls him by what he thought of himself. Because he saw himself as Simon, not as Peter. John, in his writings, when you read this whole thing, it says he calls him Simon and Peter replied. John called him by what Jesus had renamed him. But Jesus is calling him by how he sees himself at the moment. I'm just Simon. I'm just Simon. And so he says, Simon, do you agape me? This is the second time. And, and Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. I have brotherly love for you. And then a third time. But this third time, here's the goodness and the grace of God. This is where you see the humility of Jesus. He says, Peter, and you could see him kind of stooping in and leaning in. And he says, do you phileo me? And Peter, it is then that he is grieved. He senses the same grief he felt when he denied Christ. When he sees the grace that is in the eyes of Christ, when he sees his grace, when he sees God's humility getting down where he is to lift him up, he says, you know all things. He says, you know all things. You know I phileo you. And you know what he says? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. It was in that moment that I believe the grace of God touched Peter's brokenness. And it lifted the grief of him rejecting Christ. And Peter was restored to his calling. 